The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonhalls, or Success Publishing International. More willpower than a barefoot woman at a shoe sale. Able to stretch a single paycheck for an entire month. Makes money concepts easier than third grade math. Introducing your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls. Work all day, stress all night. Take your mind off your money and focus on your life. Money don't matter for the stuff it bought. It's the way you think and not what you've got. Yeah. Unlock Your Wealth Radio starts now. Get your money mind right. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Heather Wagonhalls, and I am so excited to have you join us yet again for another Atlas Society Week edition of Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And yay, here in studio, I'm so excited, is philosopher David Kelly and founder of the Atlas Society. Welcome to the show yet again. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be here. We've been having such an exciting time this week. And we're kind of winding down the different tenets of objectivism. And probably the most critical one is today's topic. And that is reason. And so why is reason important to us as individuals? Well, Heather, let me go back to what we've talked about so far. Okay. We've talked about achievement. Reason is the basis of achievement. We've talked about individualism, and this, the, the foundation of individualism is the fact that we have the capacity for reason, which we have to exercise by choice, and that's an individual function. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about freedom, and freedom is ultimately about letting people act in accordance with their own rational judgment. So now we're coming to the foundation. Ayn Rand once said uh, she was notorious for being an advocate of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And she said, but I'm not primarily an advocate of capitalism, but of egoism. But then she went on to say, but I'm not primarily an advocate of egoism, but of reason. Reason is a human faculty that makes us different from every other species of animal. It it has what has, it's what has raised us over the last 45,000 years or so from hunter-gatherers who were just very kind of advanced apes Uh to industrial, civilized people. Uh And that's speaking in in, in, uh, historical... um, um, In physiological terms. In physiological terms, and to some extent in social terms, because we're talking about civilization. Right. But the foundation of it is the individual's capacity to think rationally. And that's what, uh, that is biologically our essence as human beings. And in terms of, of, of civilization and in terms of ethics, that is our fundamental asset and virtue, Mm -hmm. rationality. And in terms of civilization, it is what what drives progress. Mm-hmm. So, on, on, on every in every dimension, reason. Ayn Rand said, "This is this is the essence of human 
life. Now, she wasn't alone in saying, I mean, it's been known since I mean, Aristotle to find man as a rational animal. Mm -hmm. But uh, Ayn Rand really took that and ran with it. Reason is what guides, uh, she elevated reason into a, a primary moral uh, virtue that you should live by reason, you should treat reason as an absolute, and an absolute for for how, what you think, mm -hmm. your convictions, and your choices mm -hmm. in life. I, I agree. I, I think that it's a virtue. I feel personally that reason is, because I've been given this power of reason, and regardless of how you believe you got it, whether it was infinite, whether there was a creator or evolution, as someone who possesses the ability to reason, I believe we have an obligation to utilize that faculty to the best of our ability. And that's my biggest concern about societies. And, and because biologically we're set up to fail at, at being reasonable people just because of the way the brain evolved over time and the structure of the, of, of, of the brain's processes, reason is the last faculty we use, even though it is one of the most important. Now, if we, if we had reason up front, it wouldn't work right because then we'd never make a decision because we have to have an impetus or a drive towards something. So how, how does one understand, if we, if we talk in terms of, of reason being a virtue, how does one understand the awesomeness of the responsibility that that brings or obligation that that brings to an individual? Well, first of all, um, I think you have to appreciate the sheer power of reason. I always encourage people to step back from what they take from granted about their lives today. You know, we have cell phones, we have iPads, mm -hmm. we have uh, the internet, we have uh, cars, we have grocery stores. We have power windows. We have power I windows. I remember rolling them up. Yeah. Uh, we have um, all these benefits that we accommodate to. And first of all, I encourage people, be philosophers. Like, it's like easy you. for me. I'm trained in it. But step back. Walk through a city. Walk through a city street or a town street. And think about where all the things you see came from. The grocery stores, the hardware stores, all the things in all of those stores, the cars on the street, the people who are dressed, the fact that you walk down the street and they pass and say hello, uh, rather than, than, than wielding a club against you, although that happens. Right? Yeah. But, all of that. Find a safe city to do this in. All of that. All of that is the product of human reason over time. Everything's been produced by human reason. Uh, the way we interact, the fact that I can drive at 60 miles an hour down a highway and the teenager driving the other way down, doing 60, and we don't collide. Okay? That's an amazing, that is an amazing feature. Um, why? because we have traffic laws. Traffic laws are, are trivi a trivial example of reason, but we all take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Think about how this world you live in has been structured by reason. 
to me, that's the first thing. Just be, just be awed. Be philosophical. I love that be word. Awed, awed. By what reason has accomplished. Okay. Secondly, we all have a lot of choices to make, and we have options. Where do we get those options? We got them from reason, because if we were purely instinctual animals, there would be no options. We would act on instinct. Whatever the environment and our native constitution dictated, we do. Mm -hmm. That's how the rest of the animal kingdom works. Mm -hmm. We don't. We have options. We have uh, multiple paths that we can go down because we can think, we can imagine, we can uh, uh, entertain possibilities for different routes in life, like Robert Frost said, with you know two roads, the road less traveled, narrow wood, and you know, I took the one less traveled by. Whichever road you take, whether it's less traveled by or more traveled by, the fact is you have choices, and it comes down actually to free will. You you actually do make those choices yourself, and if you don't take responsibility for those choices about what you believe, where you're going in life, who you're going to deal with, what kind of society you're going to vote for politically. Mm -hmm. If you don't take responsibility for that, then you're not exercising your own mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but, which means you're defaulting and someone else will make those choices for you. Mm -hmm. So if, if you think in terms of the the psychological um, area of of the tabula rasa, so the so we come out as a blank slate, like we got all those genetic predispositions, but we come out as a blank slate, and we're dependent upon our primary caregivers. It's our mother, it's our father, it's maybe someone else. You know, it depends. Mm -hmm. And our ability to reason doesn't even start to develop until we're eight or nine years old. That's when we start to assert our will. And that's when we go from just identification and association to the ability to evaluate. So do we lose the ability to reason because of conditioning or were we never truly developed with it? Well, parents and or caretakers mm -hmm. have a huge impact on a child's development of the capacity to reason. But at the end of the day, uh, the faculties inbuilt in us, reason is a capacity that we have by nature, not, not the content of what we believe, right. but the capacity to right. think. And the existence of our ability to choose. And so in principle, even with the worst upbringing, Someone can choose to think for himself. Now, I, with the worst upbringing, that's that's hard, right? And I, I don't want to minimize that. Uh, children are warped in some cases by irrational parents, parents who just dictate, you know, mm -hmm. this is the way it is, and don't explain, don't provide the training about how to think, uh, or poor or educational systems that don't teach kids to think. But, uh, and thinking is a skill you have to learn. No question. But um, the, the, fact of, the fact of the matter is that we do have the choice. We have, we have 
free will consists in the choice to exercise our rational capacity. So even people who have had the best education, every advantage, may choose not to think. I know some of those people. Yeah, yeah, I do too, unfortunately. I know some who have degrees. Yes. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow. Um, I mean, you know, they, they do road stuff. So it's not like, you know, there's no effort involved, but they're not really thinking um, autonomously. Right. And on the other scale, I know lots of people who come from modest backgrounds. I I mean, I'll tell you a story. uh, When I bought a house years ago, um, I needed a builder to make some additions. So um, I found someone that was recommended. I worked with them. on, on, on the house plans, the building, I actually, you know, did some shingling myself. Yay! <laughs> yes. Um, but what I liked about him was, and we, we got to be friends. I was, a, I was a PhD from Princeton, you know. So you're he, fancy, is what you're saying. He, I was fancy. He was a high school grad. Okay. Um, but we got along because he had an intellectual initiative. He was curious. He noticed things mm-hmm. and he thought in terms of principles when, you know, um, he, when I, I said, how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, get this shower thing up to the second floor? Right. He would explain it. And he, it was a coherent explanation because he knew the principles of building. Um, okay. so I, you know, I don't, I don't stand by degrees. Um, but he was someone who was using his own mind. It was very obvious to me, mm-hmm. initiating it, both because he was intellectually active, he noticed stuff, and because he thought in terms of principles and he, how to apply his skills to the task at hand. And his skills were vastly in advance of mine. Well, as you're describing this to me, I'm thinking not only did he have the knowledge to be able to do it, but he had the ability to communicate that in a way that you understood. Because communication isn't about getting our point across. It's about eliciting the right result. Right. And if you didn't go, oh, yeah, I get it, then he didn't accomplish the purpose of his communication. Well, that, that's another dimension of rationality. We, were, we could talk because we both listened. And we... Um, it was partly, it was founded on a kind of intellectual respect, but um, we crossed a divide in education. But what what made it possible was something more, much more important than divide was the common commitment to thinking right. rationally. So 70% of our time waking is mostly spent in some sort of trance or autopilot state because the brain doesn't want to think. That's why it creates these patterns. That's why we brush our teeth the same exact way. That's why we get in the car and we text, we talk on the phone, we listen to the radio, we drink our coffee, eat our espresso, and magically, with all of that going on, are still able to exit the freeway at precisely the right moment to get us to our office on time. And so given that, isn't reason difficult? You know, there's there's a, a, a tradition in philosophy that reason it exercised, is exercised only when we have a problem that's not been solved. Otherwise, it, everything's automatic. Uh, that was actually the philosophy of John Dewey, the pragmatist and um, actually founder of progressive education. I don't believe that. I, I believe that 
Yes, we we autom automate a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So the brain I'm, loves systems. I'm not as automated maybe as you are, but I, I'm a philosopher, so you know I, I just keep thinking about alternatives. Right. Um, all the time. You're programmed for for I'm, being an experiential person. Exactly right. So every time I go in my closet to press, it's a new occasion. Very good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the <clears throat> part of what what makes reason work is the vast amount of knowledge that we can make automatic. We learn it, we understand it, and then it, we move it off to another part of the brain that becomes automatic so that we don't have to treat every, literally every time I walk into my closet, it's not a totally new occasion. <laughs> but, you know, I know walking into the closet and truly having no background knowledge would be, oh, what's this? What are these? Yes. Uh, what are these funny cloth things? Yeah. Why are there holes? <laughs> You're right. My arm goes in it curiously. <laughs> the essence of human reason really is conceptualizing. Okay. That, uh, and when we conceptualize, and this starts, you know, when children are learning to speak, uh, and concepts get expressed in language, that's the, when the concept mm -hmm. is actually acquired, when you can have a word for it. Children learn um, about, you know, okay, this is a shirt. This is, these are pants. Mm -hmm. And when... Shirt goes on the top, pants go on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, right. And they all go in hangers. So once you know that, it's automated. And so literally, okay. I, I, I was joking before, but uh, if we if we couldn't do that, uh, then every new, every new environment would be totally new. And the power of reason is the fact that it's not the case. We conceptualize, we, we're able to form abstract concepts. People, hotels, cars, roads, laws, mm -hmm. tables, chairs, whatever. And once we form those concepts and can articulate them, then each of those concepts stands for an open-ended range of things that once we, so that for every new time, we see a, a shirt or a table or a car, we know what it is. Mm -hmm. We don't have to think about what, what it is or how to behave around it. Mm -hmm. uh, animals can't do that. I mean, they have a limited range of perceptual learning, mm -hmm. but not on the scale of conceptual learning, which is right. what reason is all about. So, um, but to, to tap into that ability. Yeah, because my dog's not thinking about his retirement. No. No, he he's just counting on the current welfare state staying in place. <laughs> exactly right, <laughs> right. And your dog, you know, he recognizes food when it comes out. He recognizes you, and he knows recognizes the mommy's keeper of the food. <laughs> right, but he doesn't know anything about Israel and Hamas. <laughs> no. Okay. I read the paper with him every day. <laughs> Even when you read the paper, so. Um. But we take reason for granted, and, and that's partly because it is, there's so much that becomes automatic. Okay. And then people become, make snap judgments. Right. Uh, because it gets moved out of the frontal cortex into other areas. Right. That um, are where we store our ability to speak language automatically, like we are now. Right. Neither of us is thinking about 
what words we're going to use because we have the words and we're thinking about our, what we want to say, but not how we're going to say it. Uh, but people get so entrained in that that sometimes they just, it just yeah. goes on and on and on um, uh, automatically. And they don't, but the frontal cortex is the most underused part of our brains. And what that means in psychological terms is, do I really know this? Right. How many times have people, have you heard people say, well, oh, oh I know what's going on. What, so-and-so did this. Well, she's, she's jealous. What other explanation could there be? People buy into that without thinking, wait a minute, there probably are a lot of other possible explanations. Right, but they're what only using what they've been exposed to to apply to that situation. Right, exactly. I mean, one of the one of the great psychological um, liabilities that we have is confirmation bias. Oh, yes. So, I, you know, I'm in an argument, or I'm I'm thinking about an issue. I'm say I'm I'm a conservative. Okay. So I read the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and every you know I I groove on every bad every example of how government has screwed up, as opposed to reading. I don't know, New York Times or whatever, and saying, okay, here's someone who thinks the government is doing a good job. That's a challenge to me. It, is that right? Should I exam- re-examine my, my views? We, we all have confirmation bias that we look for confirming examples rather than right. challenging examples. Well, and that's because we had this inherent need to be right. So, of course we do. Yeah. yeah. So, so we filter out the stuff that says wrong, wrong, wrong. We get rid of it. So, how does this help us? So, so knowing what reason is, knowing why we need to use it, what the value of using it is, because obviously, an expansive knowledge create more more systems improve the systems that we have so they're more streamlined so we, we function better, you know, uh, looking for a better way to brush your teeth, for example. So, so how does that help us if we employ reason? I mean, is it really going to make my life any better if I start reasoning versus just kind of going autopilot? Well, first of all, every innovation and every advance in your life comes from some exercise of reason. You live, you know, uh, in terms of work, <clears throat> you go along, you go along, and then you have a great idea. But you don't have great ideas unless you're looking for them and thinking. And it's those great ideas that move you to the next phase in achievement. Okay. Personally, you go along, you have a life, you have family, maybe you have a husband, kids, whatever, and you're commonly people reach a point where they say, well, what's it all about? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the midlife crisis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they have to think about themselves and what their life's about. And so there are occasions when we all know that it's time to think. It may lead you to a therapist, may lead you to um, uh, a new job, whatever. But the point about reason is that that's your only resource. 
that's your only resource. And the more you can use that resource, not to have more midlife crises, but, right. but to keep monitoring your life and how can I make it better? Or how, how can I keep advancing in my work? Um, it's like one of our keys in our keys to riches, which is review, revise, and recommit. Exactly. Perfect. But that's a function of reason. Right. Well, yes, because you have to employ the, that, those evaluation. Right. How do, you, how do you do any of those tasks without thinking? You will, you can't. And you, and that's and the you won't do them by emotion, although your emotions, you have to be attuned to them. Right. Uh, and they'll come up first because this is the way the brain processes stuff, so. Right. Well, but your emotions are telling you, <clears throat> how am I doing? Okay, but you, yeah. only your mind is the one that has to say, okay, if my emotions are telling me I'm not doing great, or I could do better, or I want something, it's your mind, your brain, your reason that has to say, okay, so, okay, emotions, thank you for the heads up. Now, I'm going to figure out what it is. <laughs> yeah. How do I get there? Yeah. What do I want? Because your emotions won't tell you. No. They just say, I'm experiencing physical something. I'm associating it to something I already know. When I felt this way in the past, it was happy or it was sad or confused or, or, yeah. or, or whatever. And then, and then it's up to our ability to reason to be able to put that all together and make exactly. sense of that information. Because the emotions are just information. And they're not the be all right. end all, but and, and, and we and we, we do we kind of oh we get all wound up in our emotions, and when we can subside that hormone dump that triggers all of that panic and hysteria or wh whichever fight or flight or or play possum that we do, then and only then can we employ our incredible gift of the ability to reason. Over we are the apex predator because. We have that ability to think about things as opposed to just react instinctually. And I think that that's probably one of our greatest gifts of humankind is, is that the power of reason. Well, that's the essence of humanity. That is the essence. Mm -hmm. Yay. So, well, we made it through objectivism. So we have one more and we're going to actually be able to talk about the movie in our next show. And I'm really excited about that. Thank you so much for taking this trip through objectivism this week and kind of explaining what objectivism is, the foundations of it. Because I'm sure that once people have listened to this, they're going to connect with something that you shared and say, wow, I could be an objectivist. Wow, if that's what objectivism really is from the horse's mouth, now, now that makes sense. Maybe I'm more objectivist. Maybe I should start reading some of these stories, learn inferentially from Ayn's wisdom, read your books and get more concrete about what objectivism is and how they can connect with it. If folks want to get involved in the Atlas Society, if they want to be a part of the great summits that I've had a chance to be a part of and, and really expand their awareness and be around like-minded, reasonable people, <laughs> even if it's only for a week out of the year. How, how can folks find out more and learn more? Well, thank you, Heather. Uh, I really appreciate what you said, and uh, I think I think the values of objectivism are much more widely shared than the reputation of Ayn Rand and, and objectivism mm -hmm. would, would indicate. Uh, because there's a lot of bad, negative press about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope I've helped people understand a little more from the inside about what how great it is. Um, 
The Outlet Society, we have a website, outlessociety.org. Uh, that is our uh, platform. We have an annual event called the Outlet Summit that Heather referred to. Uh, we have a whole tab on our section of our website that's devoted to that. We have it hold it every year in June. Um, so, yay, you got to go. 20, 2015 is the next one. But meanwhile, uh, we have the Atlas Shrugged film part three, the <laughs> final section, uh, the final part of the trilogy coming out September 12th. And you can read all about that also on our website. Yay. Look for Atlas Shrugged. And you have great video vignettes where you actually describe and explain the scenes and why they're significant. So the website, again, is a great resource. And if you go to David's show page or on the website, you will have plenty of linky links. So never fear. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is here to get all the good stuff, to become a part of the Atlas Society and learn more about open objectivism. You've been listening to Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And for philosopher David Kelly, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2013 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com. 